We're going to be in the book of Daniel this morning. And I did have a conversation during our fellowship time with somebody about Zoom. If you get the very, very long link, if you just click on that link, it'll take you to the Zoom for Wednesday nights. Um, and I figured out I could say it like this. For those that want to join us on Wednesday night, or if you're going to miss a Wednesday night and you're able to, if you just go to Zoom and hit join meeting, the meeting code is my phone number. Okay, just the digits, no dashes, just the digits. And the um, passcode for it is the zip code for Tulare. So uh, that'll get you into our Wednesday night's uh, meeting if you don't uh, click the link that I send out. But it's going to be the same, same um, numbers every week, uh, so it's not different and all that. So well, let's get into the Word. We are in Daniel this morning, and I think I'm going to have to speak quickly time-wise. So we'll go right into it. Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So our story opened up a couple of weeks ago where Babylon has asserted itself onto the world stage, has defeated uh, Egypt and Assyria, or uh, yeah, Egypt and Assyria at this point. Um, and Judah, who has been misbehaving for years, was right there, right there for the taking. And the Lord has been warning them and warning them and warning them and warning them. It's like a parent that keeps saying one more time, one more time, one more time. And after about 51 more times, they finally do something about it, you know. Uh, but the Lord has been warning them, and now he will use Babylon to punish them. And we get a feel for where, Ju where, where Judah is spiritually from Jeremiah 36. It says here, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I've spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. So we see that Jeremiah is a contemporary of Daniel, okay, uh, of this time. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, each of them will turn from their wicked way. Then I will forgive their wickedness and their sins. So Jeremiah came to uh, Baruch, son of Neri, and while Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch wrote them on a scroll. Then Jeremiah told Baruch, I am restricted. I cannot go to the Lord's temple. So you go to the house of the Lord on the day of fasting and read to the people from the scrolls the words of the Lord that, that you have wrote as I dictated. Read them all to the people of Judah who come in from their towns. Perhaps they will bring their petition before the Lord, and each will turn from his wicked ways. For the anger and wrath pronounced against this people by the Lord are great. So the Lord is warning them. He's saying, if you get your act together, we'll be good. We'll be kosher. We'll be happy. We, I won't punish you. But here's the punishment coming. And if you go back and read Jeremiah, you can read all the stuff that's going to come. Um, here's all the punishment that's coming if you don't get your act straight. If you don't repent, if you don't figure out what you're doing wrong, here's the direction you're going to go. So a fast is called in verse 9, uh, and Baruch reads the scroll again. And in verse 14, the, the prince, uh, one of the princes uh, hears about it, about what he says. And they invite Baruch to the palace to read to them. 
and they're absolutely terrified. Now, you would think that they would be terrified for, because of what God just said, right? No, they're terrified because they're scared of the king. They have to tell the king what is being said by the prophet of Israel. And his reaction, they're like, dude, dude, Jeremiah, you need to go hide somewhere. <laughs> He's going to be after your head. So in verse 20, they tell the king and he sends for the scroll, which is read in his presence. And the poor reader, I mean, this guy gets only three to four verses uh, or verses. We call them verses, sentences into the, the reading. And the king grabs the scroll and then takes a knife from one of the scribes and just rips up the scroll and throws it into the fire. So everyone is on edge at this point. Everyone's just like, dude, you don't want to even go, don't even go to the king. If you have to go to the king, like, keep quiet. Don't say, say as little as possible. But Jeremiah, he's nowhere to be found. And neither is Baruch, because the Lord is hiding them, which means they could be hiding in plain sight. You know, it could be one of those uh, Star Wars things where they're just walking around going, this is not the prophet you seek, you know, or something like that. Or he could have them off hiding. We don't know at this point. But in Jeremiah 127, the Lord tells Jeremiah to take another scroll and rewrite and then add a few things, specifically for King Jehoiakim. So this is what the Lord says. You burned that scroll and said, why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and cut off both men and animals from it? Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat of the day and the frosts at night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem, the people of Judah, every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. So Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe Baruch, son of Neri, and Jeremiah dictated Baruch wrote out all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. So he gives us, or this gives us some context to what is happening. Because Jeremiah lives within the same time, within like five years of, of what's going on. And it gives us an idea of how rebellious the kings of Judah really are. I mean, we think of them as, well, God's people. You know, God's chosen people. And the Lord is for them and everything, right? But in actuality, these people are way far away from God. They are not living for God. They're not following God's ways. Yes, they're his people. They're supposed to be the shining light for the world to, to see the goodness of God and come to God. But they're not acting like that at this point. So God is going to have to punish them because of that. So in chapter, you know, Daniel chapter 1, we see God keeping his word and punishing Judea. Verse 2, it says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature to the Babylonians. And we've covered a lot of this already but as I said before, Nebuchadnezzar seems to be into re-education. Let me go and steal the cream of the crop and let me educate them to, to uh, uh, bring in some new talent. Uh, 
And then he's also keeping the leadership, the smart ones, away from resisting his plan for Judea. And he's benefiting Babylon by bringing in fresh talent. It's like he's training them to lead their own countries. But, but we don't know this because God intervenes here. 900 miles east they go. In a day and age when most people uh, only traveled in their whole lifetime, like 90 miles away from home ever. You know, 90 miles for us is an hour and a half. We're done, right? You know, for them, most people didn't travel. We have friends that have never traveled out of Houston area, and you're just kind of looking at them like, come on, dude, go somewhere, see something. But here these 15-year-olds feel like they're headed to a whole other planet in a sense, and they're never going to be returned home to see their mama, see their brothers and sisters, to have all their stuff that they, they have in the room to be able to go to temple or, or see their friends. Their way of life is over. Now they're in Babylon for the rest of their lives. And regardless of what's been done to them, they have this amazing sense of balance and integrity in these four guys that we're talking about. Now there's many others that went that, that maybe some of them had this same integrity and balance and it's just not written in here, but many of them lived like the Babylonians. They just accepted their fate. And it says here in verse 6, among them were, were, were some from Judea. Daniel, which means God is my judge. Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious. God has been gracious. Mishael, who is, or who is what God is? And Azariah, Yahweh is my help. Now let me ask you a question. What do all four of these names have in common? They mention God. They mention God. They also, you know, speak to what God is actually doing. Right now, God is judging them, right? But he's also going to be gracious to them. He told them 70 years. He's going to be gracious. Now, have they been reading about that? No, they've been ignoring the word of God. But he's going to be gracious to them. And right now, God is revealing who he is to these young men, and not to mention to Babylon. And then fourthly, he is going to help them. So God is revealing all that. And it says here in verse 7, the chief official gave them new names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the same question needs to be asked. What do these four names, these Babylonian names, have in common? They mention the Babylonian gods. Now, we talked about the names a little last week, but I also want to point out that we see this in America, don't we? Especially sports people, other people changing their names. Why change your name? Well, it's telling you about, uh, you know, it's telling the world about yourself. I was raised here, or now I do this. I mean, think of Cassius Clay. Anybody know who Cassius Clay is? Yeah, Muhammad Ali. For those young ones, that, he was a boxer, famous, great guy. Boxing-wise. Okay, well, how about Chad Johnson? Ocho Cinco. He changed his name to Chad Ocho Cinco. He follows himself now, apparently, a football player. That was the name on his jersey. I mean, name, the number on his jersey. It's all about him. He is his own God, in a sense. That's what he's telling you. But for Daniel and the boys, the Babylonians choose their names. Babylonians are trying to tell them to forsake everything in their past 
And we talked a little bit uh, last week about this, how the world, when you go off to school, you go off to college, or even just in general, the world tries to tell you, if you're a Christian and what you believe is wrong, you need to leave all that back. You need to not believe what your parents believe. You need to believe this. And they push that on you. So you have to decide like Daniel, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But Babylonians are trying to tell them, forsake everything. And this is what Babylon does. Babylon is going to try to change, uh, try to change them, and Babylon is going to try to change us to completely change our way of thinking. Now, we've been talking now for three weeks and asking the question, what is Babylon? So, many of you in this room, maybe you're ready to answer that question. Maybe what I've discovered is that Babylon cannot be described in one or two words. Babylon is kind of more of a philosophy, at least in my view. It's completely opposite of what the only God is trying to accomplish. So everything that is not of God is Babylon. Everything in this world that does not follow the Lord is Babylon. That could be your TV. Maybe it's not. Could be your computer. Maybe it's not. It depends on what you're doing with all those things. It could be your, your actions, what you see, what you think, what you go and enjoy in life. Or it could not be, depending on what direction you're going and who you're following. It's a way of thinking. So the boys are taken from their sheltered life in Judea, which you know is now completely sh- shattered, Now, again, there was a lot of sinning going on in Judea, but you would imagine that Babylon is even worse, right? At least I would. And in verse 8, I think is the key to the whole story of Daniel's life. It says, but Daniel resolved or purposed in his heart. Within eight chapters, eight chapters, it turns and becomes not about Babylon, but about our purpose while we are in Babylon. Daniel knew his purpose. Daniel's actions were on purpose. Daniel's heart guided his purpose. And we imagine Babylon and we think about, you know, uh, we think about where they lived who they were around, the area that they lived in. And it's so easy to actually, you know, think about it and to understand it. For us to understand how they could easily blow it here. And we'd probably not blame them, would we? I mean, they're in Babylon of all places. They call home and it's like, (laughs) you know, imagine if they had phones back then. It's okay, Daniel, it's okay. You know, do what you need to do to survive, and we'll try to get you to come home. We'll try to get you home, okay? You can imagine the conversation. Now, it didn't really happen. But many of us would say that this, in this situation, it would be okay to compromise. That it's really not your fault that you're in this situation. You don't deserve to be there. It's actually our country's fault, and our parents' fault, and our grandparents' fault. God is judging our nation because of them, not because of what I did. So you can imagine the, the, the pull here. 
And these little compromises are not really a big deal, many would say. Plus, I mean, they're young kids. No one expects them to behave, right? They're young. No one expects them to learn about God, right? No one expects them to be able to sit in church and listen to to the teachings of God, right? And for Daniel and the guys, there isn't anyone even there to challenge them on how they should be living. They're on their own. So you could see how they could use this as an excuse that it's totally understandable. We do this all the time as adults, don't we? Well, when we go to Babylon, it's okay for that little time period. When I'm away, you know, I'm on vacation or whatever. I'm fixing to go on. Uh, I'm taking my, my son to uh, uh, Canada to uh, do a little fishing. We're going to have a little fun with the family, um, with the extended family and stuff. Three, three other 10-year-olds or two other 10-year-olds are joining us on the trip and uh, pray that our COVID tests are negative so we can actually get into Canada after we paid all this money. But, uh, you know, but somebody could easily say, well, while you're there, it's no big deal, Right? Yeah. For some reason, we don't, experience, we, we don't expect to bring our ethics with us to Babylon. We don't bring our morals to Babylon. We're just letting off a little steam, right? Lighten up. But the reality is, Babylon will always be pulling at us, no matter what our age, whether you're young or whether you're old. I'm sorry, older, older. Someone would also say, well, I mean, it's in your DNA to sin, right? I mean, do we have DNA that's built into us that is sinful? Yeah. After the fall of God, it changed us to the point where we're innately wanting to sin and go away from God. Even followers of Christ have to admit that we have a sinful nature because we're born that way, so you just can't really resist, right? That's what some people would say. Everyone is doing these things. Now, at the very least, our four teenage boys could have whined a little bit. You know, I I like to whine. I mean, we all like to whine, don't we, to a certain extent? I'm trying to take that out of, you know, I'm trying to not to do it as much because my kids hear me whine and they feel like they're free to whine also. And then I'm like hearing it and I'm like, ah, you know, so I'm trying not to do as much, but I'm chief whiner at our house, you know. But, you know, oh, it's not fair. Or it's my parents' fault or the grandparents' fault. I mean, that's why. I mean, (laughs) if I'd been there when the king ripped up the word of God, You know, I would have said something, of course, right? But since I wasn't there and God is now punishing us, I'm just going to try to live. I'm just going to try to make it through this. I mean, it's not fair that I don't know true freedom here. And if you've studied Jewish history, you know, they would have been correct. Before Babylon, the rolling country was Egypt, right? Israel has only been free for a certain amount of years, autonomously, uh, you know, governing themselves. Because you had big people come in, right? You had the Romans eventually come in. Then they were dispersed until 1948, May 14th. There's a lot of whining that could go on. Well, other kids get to do this. You know, I'm, I'm eventually going to get there, right? 
I, I got two young ones, eventually we're gonna get there. And we've already had some discussions and say, well, we, we don't play certain games and there's a reason why we don't play certain games. It's important to hold what we believe. But we could say, man, I'm just going to relax my purpose. I'm going to relax my values. And God will certainly understand. You know, there's other, other sorts of uh, type of whining that we also do. You know, I'm in bondage because of my parents. We hear this all the time. It's good to know where you came from. It's good to know the past. And it's good to know what your parents messed up on. I mean, I mean if you're a parent, I know you never mess up, right? I understand that. We try to portray that. But it's good to know. I mean, if your father was an alcoholic, then you need to stay away from alcohol, right? If your father was too heavy-handed, then you need to relax a little bit. If your mother was this way or that way, that, that's okay to know these things, but that can't be the, the excuse that we use. I mean, there are things that I, that I look back at my parents and how they did things that, that I want to watch out for. And when my son pulls some of the same stuff that I pull, I'll have to remind myself not to react quite the same way. But just because there's some things that I think that, that he did or didn't do right doesn't mean I throw it all out because there comes a point in a certain age where we don't go it's not my fault. It's their fault. You, I act this way because we come to a point where we can't say that. Well, the reason I do this is because it was done to me. The reason I'm getting divorced is because, you know, divorce runs into my family. We have to break those cycles. And the only way to break those cycles is to follow the Lord and the Lord's way. The reason I'm abusive to my family is because my father, it's not really my fault. I was born this way. No, you have to stop. You have to repent and you have to let God and the Holy Spirit direct you and go a different direction. Sorry, somebody's sending me messages and I need to turn off my watch sound. There we go. Now, let me say it again. It's good to know why you act a certain way and why we do certain things. But one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that we are all born into sin. And the only difference is we have a different story that we cope with. Each one of us, we just have a different story. But we all deal with the, the basis of sin. But the goal is to get to a place where you know who to blame. And that is Satan. And that's where you go, that's why I'm messed up. But I have somebody there to help me. I don't have to be afraid of this. I don't have to be afraid of that. It's in my past. Let me recognize it so I can deal with it, not so I can blame it. What we have to do is say, all right, the cards have been dealt in my life. You know, get mad at God about it. He's not going to abuse us. We can scream at God. He can take that screaming, right? He may say, okay, Alan, good, now it's time for your nap. 
you know, he can handle that. But what he can't handle is, is us spending the rest of our life making excuses. Because every one of us has a story, and something in our stories is not fair, and we all have that excuse. I can tell you things that happened to, to my life and my wife's, uh, you know, our lives together and so forth, where, where um, I can say what happened was not fair. And I could tell you all the story here or there, and you would all go, yeah, you know what? That's pretty screwed up. But you know what? We all have those stories in one way or another. Now, it seems like we all have that friend who would say, nothing ever goes right for me or my family. And you look at your life and go, man, I'm glad I'm not in their shoes. So, when we look at our own whining, we say, man, if somebody deserves to whine, they do. That person has a legitimate case. There's someone always worse off than you. So say this person deserves like 50 whining tokens. You know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if we had whining tokens? I mean, we get extra for year 2020, right? You know, as long as you had these tokens, you could whine all you wanted and no one could say anything. That'd be awesome. Now, one thing I've noticed is that whining often has nothing to do with our situation. I've seen many people just whining for whining's sake. They're just whining away, you know? And, and I'm thinking, man, you got a pretty good life. What, what are you all upset about? And then I, I found cer find certain people who, who totally should be whining about their life, and they're happy as can be because they're relying on God and not the situation they're in to bring them joy. It is amazing as human beings that we don't whine in relation to what is reality. Yet these guys, they're not whining. It's not fair that my parents' sin got me here. It's not fair that our country was attacked. It's not fair that I'm an excellent person. Why am I here? I've been trying to follow God. Why am I in this situation? It's not fair they made me a eunuch. It's not fair they made me learn a new language a new, and I have to eat new food and new customs. And the list goes on and on and on. And then we read verse 8. But Daniel resolved. He purposed in his own heart. You know, the heart is where complaining and whining begins. The heart our emotion is, is where, where, you know, where we feel the injustice that happens in our lives. I've also noticed that a complaining heart will seek out a complaining heart. You know? Complaining eventually leads to a bitter heart. And a bitter heart is hard to deal with. A bitter heart that says, I don't like my life. I keep trying to do things to make myself happy. I even buy things that I cannot afford. I saw someone else go on a vacation that I wanted to go on. I saw someone else with clothes that I wanted. I saw someone else. I saw someone else. I saw someone else. And they seemed happier than I. You know, I just read an article this morning. I get up early and 
read, not because I'm so spiritual, but my body says get up. So I get up like at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I was reading this morning of a woman over in Ireland that won $24 million seven years ago. I think it was seven. Uh, and she, I mean, was set. She was by herself. She didn't have a family. She was all excited about it. And she just committed suicide. She was miserable. She says, I wish nobody, or I wish this on no one. The problem was money was looked at to solve her problems, to solve her unhappiness. We have a whole culture of consumerism. The rich and the famous get whatever they want, it seems like, right? They're at the king's table. I mean, this is where I go, oh, that, that ice sculpture, you know, at the buffet is nothing like the last buffet's ice sculpture. That one was a lot nicer. Oh, on this cruise, man, the, the, the chocolate chef, you know, he's much better than the last cruise. You know, and you're just like, What? Daniel had every right to be bitter, but he chose to be better. He purposed in his heart. You know, I've studied this, and it took me about Wednesday before I started taking Daniel's name out and putting my name into it. Alan has to purpose. You have to purpose What is on your mind? What is in your heart? What is in your soul? Is it the things of God? Is that what you're purposing? Or is it the things of this world? Because the things of this world will drive you nuts. Well, last week, Daniel took a stand on eating non-kosher foods. And if you're not here, it's on the website. Um, But this is a very risky move by them uh, to even ask not to eat what the king ordered them to eat. It was risky academically and politically and socially and financially. Uh, this would be like uh, right now, um, and I'm not, I don't take this as political. I'm just trying to use it as an example, okay? This would be like a, a university kid going, I'm not going to get the COVID shot, and the university saying, well, then I'm kicking you out. Okay, same kind of, Daniel's going, I'm not going to eat the food the king orders so they could behead him. You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm trying to equate here. It could be very risky. He's risking his life, and they're risking the life of his boss. Daniel purposing in his heart is the foundation of his actions for the rest of the book. And if you understand verse 8, but Daniel resolved you will understand the book of Daniel, except for the prophecy stuff that no one can understand. We're going to try to go through it, and we're going to say we think this or we think that, but we're not totally sure because it's prophecy. God has blinded us, so we don't understand everything, and we have to accept that, okay? But he purposed it. Now we're going to go into chapter 2 a couple of weeks from now. But it's still going to be Daniel purposed in his heart. Then we get to chapter 3. And guess what? Daniel purposes in his heart. We understand that is the foundation. Daniel purposed. Then we understand what he means by his actions. 
This means to decide ahead of time what you're going to do. So when that moment comes, you're not surprised by it. When that moment comes, your heart says, I know what to do. Because if we let our emotions control our actions, 90% of the time, it'll get us in trouble. What is really weird is that our heart controls our actions anyway, right? And the more we're involved in the process and letting God all the way into our heart, opening that up, because he knows what's going on anyway, the more we allow that, the more God comes out of us. Because out of our heart comes our actions. If our heart is in good shape with God and with God's purposes for us, then when somebody bumps us, whatever's inside sloshes out, that's going to be God. Especially when the guy cuts you off on the freeway. You know, <laughs> I don't really have time for this, but let me... We're coming back from uh, Canada on a, on a fishing trip, and we had a guy with us that uh, wasn't a believer, and we're in the car, and this guy just, we're on these uh, one lane, or two lane highways, you know, one on each side, and we couldn't pass, and the guy's got like going 10 miles per hour under the speed limit. How irritating is that? Anybody else irritated with that? Okay, good. So I'm not, I, we're all in the same boat here. So I'm like behind him for like two hours. Okay, we couldn't get around him. It was, you know, a long road, okay? Finally, get around him. And I'm just like, when I go by him, I'm just like, what? You know, kind of like, what? And the guy behind me goes, hey, the pastor just flipped him off. <laughs> oh, you know, that was not my purpose in that action, but it got perceived completely different, you know? Oh, why did I go off on that? You know, our sins don't have to be the Lord of our future. Alcohol doesn't have to be the Lord of our future. Rage doesn't have to be the Lord of our future. Manipulation doesn't have to be the Lord of our future. Got a few on that one, right? You know, usually we talk about alcohol and drugs, right? <laughs> There's way more than just that. Comes to a point where things get easier to spot in our lives because of the consequences that those actions have. Lying, rage, always being down, always being mad. I mean, don't even try to run over me. I'm just gonna run right over Believe me, I got my defenses up. You try to run over me, I'm just gonna plow right over you because it's built in. So instead, we just run over everybody else. It's like destruction derby. You know, we all have these negative things that are embedded in our lives. And they have to be healed. And it has to be saved by God. Because we cannot do it on our own. You have 15-year-old boys who have every reason to complain. But they're fine. They don't just sit around and say, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a good Christian. When I grow up, I hope someday to be, a, to be a man of God. 
No, they're saying right now I have to stand up for what I've been taught and what I believe. The time is now. It's now to make that decision. You cannot change something if you don't make that decision. You have to purpose it in your heart. Now, we ran out of time, so I'm just kind of perusing my notes here, and I think I'll just leave the rest of it alone. But to these four young men, well, look down at verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. He found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there into the first year of King Cyrus. You see, God helped them out. God helped them. But they were willing to say, this is what I'm going to do. He purposed in his heart. God can solve anything and everything. God can solve your financial woes. God can solve, uh, you know, uh, issues with any type of habits you have. God can take that away instantly if it would glorify him and better you. But the problem is, we would go right back to the same type of living. The woman who, who got all those millions of dollars... She was miserable before she got the money, and guess what? She was miserable after she got the money. Money didn't solve it. You have to resolve in your heart. You have to decide, who am I going to be? And if you're, if you're trying to say, I'm going to be on the Lord's side, then go to the Lord. Go to him. Because that's when he starts solving those problems. But if you just say, I'm going to be a great man or woman of God one day, and never put your feet to the fire and start doing it, then that one day is one day and one day and one day and one day and it never happens. You have to resolve. You have to decide. Uh, for, for those that are younger here, and, and I have children too, I have to tell them, you have to decide your attitude here. You have to decide whether you're gonna be happy or you're gonna be sad because it's you now, yes, I know we got hormones, you know, and, and that makes us do certain things, certain times, and certain emotions. But you still have to decide. What are you going to purpose in this life? Well, why don't you stand as the worship team comes and does a quick song for us, and let's pray. Lord, so many of us want a deeper relationship with you. But to make that decision and put action behind it is so difficult. Lord, I pray for those that desire that, that they put action behind that decision. Because I know you'll respond to that. I know you'll, be, you know, you'll come running to them. That they just show an inkling of, of a desire to go to you. Because you're that type of God. You don't leave us behind, Lord. You never will. You never have. You're the same God as yesterday, as, as today, and forever. 
The things you've done with Daniel, you can do with us. The things you've done with David, you can do with us. The things you've done with Ruth and Esther and and Deborah and many others in the Bible, you can do with us. We just have to have that desire to come to you. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit just awakens that desire in us. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And may you be glorified with him in your life. May he never turn from you. In the name of the Father.